passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18. That makes sense that these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind a Raw. I am John Pollock along with Wei Ting and Wei, I had a crazy weekend. Oh yeah, uh, tell me. About wild, it. wild weekend. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yes, everybody. I got married this this weekend. Um, less than twenty. Well, twenty four hours ago, exactly. And uh, boy, uh, it was quite the evening. It was quite the night, and it was also quite the morning today. You know, it was a real struggle, even just sitting upright for most of the day. But here I am, I would say by this point, fully recovered and ready to talk about this edition of Raw. Well, uh, we we will get into uh, this edition of Raw. Uh, congratulations on your on your big day. And I, I mean, yesterday, probably not as much congratulations on this morning, but you got through it. So it's great that you did not have a, a G1 show to have to watch and review this morning. Uh, that, yes, nor a SummerSlam you know, from uh, several years back, because that, that would have been be, terrible. That would have been that, terrible. That was actually the original plan. Was like, okay, go through the wedding, and then this morning, watch, rewind away, and then talk about it with you tomorrow. But you have graciously done the planning for me to tell me, hey, this might not be a great idea, way. And you're right. So I thank you, and I thank Damien Abraham, who will be filling my place for tomorrow's show. Well, if there was one guarantee, it was I knew. You would not be getting ahead of things and watching that before this weekend. I knew you would have left it to today to watch it. And that would have not been a great uh, first day as a married individual. So trust me, you're not missing a whole lot with this four-hour show that took me most of the day to get through. I 
you know, I'm I'm sure the review will be great. It'll be awesome to hear Damien talk a little bit about wrestling again. This is a period of time where you know he actively remembers apparently pretty well. But uh, yeah, always a, always a positive when someone actively remembers something. So that's that's great. I'm looking forward to it. It's been a while since I've done a show with with Damien. So uh, in true Damien fashion, I texted him several hours ago to line everything up. I've not heard from him yet, but I know he is. He will always be there. I know he will not necessarily uh, give me great ease hours in advance, but. 10 minutes before we're about to record, I know he'll be there. Well, even for the wedding, you know, he he made an appearance as well, but it was that was also one of the later RSVPs. So he's a man with many things going on, of course, and, and so we understand it. But yes, he always makes it through. It was awesome to see uh, him. It was awesome to see you. It was awesome to see everybody in the same place uh, for a couple times over the past week because prior to my wedding, we haven't had a chance to talk to people together. In, in- yeah, when was the last? We, we haven't we have not done a show since Wednesday, I guess. Yes, because on the Thursday after our Dynamite review, I mean, here we are, you know, just like, I don't know, I'm, my, my, my wife now and I were like kind of busy just getting everything together ahead of uh, the wedding and, and making all these plans. And all of a sudden, you know, we, we have like, we're supposed to go to a, like her parents' house. And then all of a sudden we get a text from like John's wife who says hey uh who's friends with like you know with with my my wife now and like she's like hey we we got something for you um do you guys want to swing by over later and 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 pick things up and then sure enough i'm like man we kind of have a busy day and i'm starving so i'm like let's go but like we tell them like we i might be like half an hour later because i need to eat at like you know uh i need to eat first (laughs) little do i know that what i walked into was not to pick something up, but um, instead I was being tricked into a full, wonderful gathering from all of my favorite people in the post wrestling family who live in Toronto in John's backyard for a surprise party. So uh, I was an hour late and I did not even know it, but um, I I want to thank you got you and everybody else who who was able to show up to that whole thing. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. It is very hard to trick you, and I had no. I had no idea of how to possibly convince you to come over. It's like, what, what am I going to convince you to do? To come over to see me? Like, what am, <laughs> what am I going to come up with? I was like, uh, I I had, yeah, of course I would have. I, I, I just, my <laughs> wife was like, do you want me to figure this out? I said, please, <laughs> please do this. And yes, we, we were not expecting uh, the detour, but oh, we were all just hanging out. And for all those people that came on Thursday, I mean, I had not seen them in forever outside of brain and Davey, who uh i've seen a few times most of them I've, I've not seen in a long time even phil came he was like a phil? last minute decision he was you know some meeting got bumped and he lives like way out of the city and he wanted to come so he popped down too i was amazed to see him you know mike murray made it wh park made it the bde was there damien as we mentioned you know am i forgetting anybody else like it was it was all of our favorite people and um i I, I, let me tell you, like it, it, you guys went through quite quite a lot to to try to surprise me because not only like did Danielle or your your wife have to you know come up with with that excuse, but like my my wife needed a reason for us to drive down there, and so picking something up from her mother who lives in in near vicinity to you, like there was nothing to pick up, like she, so she made her mother cook of uh, like just some food. Like some decoy food <laughs> for us to go and pick up. 
<laughs> so that we would have an excuse to be in your area to be surprised by this surprise party. So this is a really involved so thing. By like 845, when first we get the update that, oh, um, Pauline said that uh, they had an une- unexpected person uh, pop by their house. So they're going to be a bit late. I was like, okay, it's it's no problem. It's like early enough. And then we get the update. Oh, they still have to go to the parents' house. And I was like, oh, so they have to go to another place now. And then they come here. And this was when I said, you know, we can just ditch the surprise element now and just let them know what we're doing at this point. But you did eventually arrive. And it wasn't all that late. You got there like maybe an hour later. It was fun. I, I, I felt bad. I felt bad for making you guys wait. But I, at the same time, I know you guys were able to keep each other. We weren't all looking at our watches. We were having a good time. So And the was surprise fun. was worth it. Plenty of White Claws were drank. You know, from what I understand, a very expensive bottle of, of uh, whiskey was also drank as well. Oh, yeah. Davies, Davies personal stash. Yeah. It was, um, uh, you know, I, w- I was completely fine from your wedding. But the, 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 the Friday morning was my, uh, my struggle. And John had to... Like put together that amazing Bobby Eaton bit like in that time too, so here, so so all of that was like wow, like thank you so much, what a wonderful surprise. I thought the surprises ended there, okay. <laughs> Little did I know on the day of my wedding, I've asked John uh, to to you know give 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 the speech on my behalf, and he so graciously uh, said yes. He delivered a wonderful speech in person. Everybody like it, it, it it's exactly maybe the greatest of all time. Sir, yeah, so for me, absolutely. But um, it was like, you know, a wonderful kind of detailing of, of maybe our working history together, our, our personal friendship history together. And then at the end of it, he says, uh, just for a little bit of self-promotion, uh, you know, I, I, of course I have to say, everybody go check out postwrestling.com. Ha 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 ha, the whole room laughs, you know. <laughs> and then he continues, where we have just uploaded an exclusive brand new audio documentary called post post profile. Who is Wei Ting? And then at this point I'm like, is he, is he still joking right now? So I pull up my phone, like in the middle of, of the wedding and I go to put my own website and there is this documentary about me. Um, I don't know how you found the time to do this. Okay. So could, from the moment I saw post profile, I realize how much work you would have put into it because every single one of these things that you have done, like you have given your your body and heart and soul to. So I know what standard you you, you put the you put put uh, into these, and, and I I it was just like wow, holy shit! And then like as the because obviously I couldn't listen to it while I was there, but I was talking to some of my other friends from like my childhood, who said that you contacted <laughs> them for this thing, and I'm like what? These are people that are, have no involvement at all with like our our website or anything. Like these are people that I don't e- I didn't even know that you knew. I so- did, dude. Wait, I did not know these people. Okay, I <laughs> like, dude. I it was like as as close to like cyber stalking as you could probably get. Like I dug for some of these people and reached out cold to some of these people. Um, unfortunately, I found the one person that has as much an aversion as you do to these SMC tapes ever seeing the light of day because that was, that was the hell Mary I tried to play. And God, <laughs> it was, I was, I was given like a, a glimmer of hope that they would be produced. 
they were not. And then this person went away and said, yo, this guy was trying to get to those tapes and they're never, they are never coming out of this vault. It's like the Annabelle doll. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. But, um, that immediately told me the level that we were dealing with here. And so after my evening, which was a struggle in and of itself to, to try to get home. Um, and after my morning, which was a struggle to try to get up, uh, I made enough time to, for me and, and, and my wife, Pauline, to sit down and listen to this thing. And, record our reaction because i have no doubt that you know this was something i wanted to preserve and in fact i wanted to share with everybody so if you if you're a patron right now i've uploaded a video of of my reacting to it and uh let me tell you it was this was the greatest gift honestly anybody has has given me so thank you so much sean the amount of work and effort that you put into this i don't know how you found out who mrs walsh was nor my French teacher, Madame Samuel's name. I was floored when when I heard that. I don't Classics. know how you got. I don't know how you got clips from like the week attempts of concerts that I I did with my friends. Like what the what the fuck, dude? Like well, there, I did have a personal connection to the man who controls all the masters. So that that I was able to go about. Uh, oh I my do, god! I do have to shout out the archivist who helped me out greatly uh, with with a lot of these clips. He was uh, he was a huge help and. If you enjoyed the music, seriously, uh, Ben Tramer is a name that doesn't get enough love around here. Three quarters of that music is Ben Tramer, who, wink, wink, is Braden Harrington. And these, I have, you can imagine how many times I have listened to these songs in the last four weeks. I love, like, these beats. These are, like, going on my phone. They are really, really good stuff. And I don't think Braden pumps it up enough. These, they... I had some music to use and then I came across his stuff. I was like, this works so much better. So the music I thought was excellent. And that is Ben Tramer. I like, like you can see my reaction. I'm listening to this. I'm like, wow. Like John always picks like excellent music to go with these things. I had no idea it was Braden who did it. That's incredible. Three quarters of it is Braden's music. Yeah. Wow. And you're absolutely right. He does not talk about it enough. I, I don't know if he's self-conscious or what, but um, the man is They're, they're awesome. Like, I just, so many tracks I heard, it's like, I knew exactly where this would work and, and where I could fit it in. So, uh, to both, the Archivist, uh, the Brady, and uh, a lot of uh, other people who donated their time to, uh, to assist and get oh. back to me, including the great Rob Scott, who sent me his clip literally three hours before Way walked down the aisle. Thank you, Rob. I, when you let me know that, that was that was insane. So the fact that you were even like at home, probably suiting up, getting ready to go to my wedding, and still editing at the same time, is insane to me. From what what your wife tells me, like you're on your phone the whole time, making sure that it wasn't going. Like you were hoping the whole time that I wasn't on my phone checking so, the website. Here's the thing i I knew on the schedule because um, your wife put out a, like a schedule. And I had a rough idea of what time my speech was going to be because I did not want you to see this before the speech. So I had to I had to schedule it to go live and I wanted it to be as close to my speech as possible. So I had scheduled it and I had it. I was logged in on on both. uh, I won't get into all the details, but I was logged in on my phone so I could adjust. So. Earlier in the afternoon, I sent Way a text, and I did mean this genuinely. Uh, congratulations, blah blah blah. But my ulterior motive was, if he gets back to me, it means he's on his phone, 
And if I don't hear from him, then he's not checking his phone and I'm in the clear. And for like an hour, I was like, okay, he's got so much going on. And then he replies, thanks, dude. I was like, okay, he did reply to me. So his (laughs) phone is with him. So, dude, it's about to go live four minutes before. And I go to change the time and it's like error. And it has to go live at this time. And it's like it was 45 minutes before my speech. And it was like, I don't think he's going to see this because it didn't go live on the site until a half hour after that. But when I plugged the audio thing, I saw, I just had my eyes on way. And when he grabbed his phone, I was like, okay, he has definitely not seen this yet. So uh, that was my triumph. Dude, it was a masterfully orchestrated, like, it's hard to surprise you. That is the theme way. You, you're, you know, you, in some ways you're lucky with to, to, to be dealing with somebody who, who pretty much turns all of his phone notifications off. So even if somebody were to tweet me about it, I, I would have had no idea. Uh, it was a total surprise. I had so much going on during the wedding anyway that I, you know, last thing on in my mind would have been to even check Twitter or like, you know, check check our website, of course. Well, I assumed so, you wouldn't be checking that. I was thinking like if your iTunes like updated and you get some because when I get like shows that I subscribe to, it's like I'll get like a little push notification. So I just didn't want it to show up because the title is going to draw your attention very quickly. Oh my god, yeah, yeah. So no, it it, it worked out like perfectly. Uh, I don't know how you got like half the people that you ended up talking to for this thing. And, you know, maybe, maybe we've gone on long enough about some of the behind the scenes of this thing, but you know, um, maybe, maybe for like, you know, in in the future on talk or something, we'll, we'll maybe go a bit more in depth, but let me say, um, the, 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 the main event of more Ronaldo giving me a personal freestyle dedicated to my wedding. was like the greatest thing ever. Um, so he came on. back with that, like within an hour. Oh, amazing. It's my favorite thing. He was the opposite yeah. of Rob Scott. <laughs> well, you know, listen, you like, you wait for the, no matter how, how long or short it takes anybody who like dedicated their time to that. It was just honestly the, one of the most touching things. So thank you so much, John. And, and really everybody else who, um, contributed to it. All right. Well, if, uh, yeah, we can definitely chat more about, uh, other other uh, things from from the wedding, maybe on it. We are going to do a talk uh, next next week, I believe. Is we are we are scheduling mm-hmm. volume two to drop, so we we can talk about it more. But you know, way it was a busy weekend, but it is also a busy week ahead because here at Post Wrestling, we've got a lot of stuff coming up. We've got SummerSlam dropping tomorrow. SummerSlam 2016, starring Brock Lesnar's elbow and Randy Orton's forehead. That is going to be covered extensively with Damian Abraham. Andrew Thompson is going to have an interview with wrestler Savannah Evans. And we will have Up Next, which is going to be quite the episode from those two, not only to recap their MC skills, but also uh, talking about the future of NXT that uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit about as well here. And uh, Wednesday, we've got Rewind to Dynamite, Shot in the Dark. Thursday, MCU Later is back as you and WH Park dive into What If. Yeah, that starts this Wednesday. And so WH Park and I will be back to cover it every Thursday on the Post Wrestling Cafe. And also on Thursday will be a new edition of the British Wrestling Experience. Uh, Gareth from Grapple is going to be joining them this week. And Friday, Friday is the big debut of AEW Rampage. And Wei and I will be reviewing both SmackDown and Rampage for Post Wrestling Cafe members. So that will be a cafe exclusive show. And we're tinkering with the format of the 
Friday night show. So we are going to be uh, trying out some things. Uh, we want to keep this as a manageable listen for people. So we are going to be experimenting in the weeks to come, but you will get reviews of SmackDown and AEW this Friday, and we will get to your calls. I imagine many of them will be about uh, Rampage, unless something crazy happens on SmackDown, and maybe they will steal Rampage's thunder, but we shall see. Saturday, uh, tentatively, the Up Next crew is planning to do a watch-along and post-show for Triple Mania, although it's a very difficult event to watch outside of Mexico, so uh, to be determined on the status of that show, but that is the working plan for uh, Braden to be doing uh, the watch-along and post-show. And then Sunday, post-pro-res with myself and WH Park, where we are going to review the Resurgence event that New Japan is running Saturday night, which is a really good card. I'm looking forward to this on, on Saturday. Like, a very good show. It's got Lance Archer and Hiroshi Tanahashi in the main event, Jay White and David Finley, rematch from the New Japan Cup. But it's a very solid top-to-bottom card. I'm very much looking forward to that on the weekend. It's honestly maybe the most exciting thing New Japan has going on right now. So uh, to me, it's a show that's gotten a good amount of buzz, really. And I'm looking forward to hearing you and WH talk about it. Uh, beyond that, I want to draw some attention to, of course, the continued releases of the British Wrestling Experience's 12-hour charity stream on their feed. Every single day, they have been releasing an hour from that stream. And just recently, this past weekend, we've had interviews with Chris Bornia, Andrew Thompson, Scrump, and today, John Pollock. And by the time that most of you are listening to this right now, you can find an interview with Nate Milton. All of you guys talking about your careers and maybe the state of uh, wrestling itself. So subscribe to the British Wrestling Experience for some exclusive audio from all of these guys. Yeah, a lot of great stuff uh, coming on the British Wrestling Experience feed. So subscribe to that. You'll never miss a show from them. And they've been putting out uh, the shows every single day. So uh, my interview was a lot of fun with them. I did an hour with Benno and Martin talking a lot about my career, uh, both before post-wrestling and the launch of it and the subsequent years, as well as my attempt and success in getting a sit-down interview with Lennox Lewis in 2009 in Canastota, New York. A very stressful interview to get, but one that I got nonetheless. It was a, it was almost like a, an ambush of a great time. <laughs> I don't know what I'm trying to say. Well, it, it was, was an a lot ambush. of fun. Uh, so uh, go check out so that. Go, and, go check that out. Also, I wanted to give a quick plug to the NWA podcast just released this past Sunday as well. If you just scroll down on this feed, you can check that out. All right. Let's get into some news. We're not going to go into too much. I did want to talk about the NXT story. Uh, You and Kate covered this a lot on Friday night with the cuts, and we won't go specifically into the cuts themselves, but um, a a bit more information that is now out there about NXT. Uh, PW Insider had reported that there had been talks internally of major changes for the brand, uh, specifying like a new logo, new lighting, a focus on younger talents, and a different format to the TV shows. And then Dave Meltzer on Wrestling Observer Radio over the weekend uh, painted like a pretty, I would say, bleak picture uh, if you have been a fan of the NXT brand for the last seven years or so, that it has really become uh, this this standalone property that has grown out of something that has been able to go to the Barclays Center successfully, that has got a television deal and has become kind of the WWE's outpost to go after the top independent talent while also mixing in with like it's, it's rising development. And I think it is those competing 
uh, responsibilities that NXT has had that this has kind of come to a headway and we're, we're going to see how far this evolves to. But in Dave Meltzer's reporting, it was that, you know, the cuts, these were decisions by Vince McMahon, Bruce Pritchard, and John Laurinaitis stating that Paul Levesque and Shawn Michaels, but I think the more important one, Paul Levesque, had nothing to do with the cuts this past Friday night where the 13 individuals were let go. And Dave went on to state that the mentality is that, this is off the Observer site, is that NXT is going to change in some ways, likely going back to the earlier days of developmental, getting talent that are younger, bigger, and could someday main event WrestleMania. And then Dave said, quote, the feeling is that they lost the war with AEW and are and are getting back to going younger and bigger with the people that they're going to be going after and said the wording he was given, um, like he, he read this, that no more midgets, no one starting in their thirties and people who can be box office attractions and main characters. Mm. He did not state uh, who said that, but obviously that is, that is coming from, you know, that, that side of things. So, I think this is obviously going to be something that this could very well be the mindset that this is a big directional shift that NXT is going to be taking. And and you can certainly look at the, the argument of like what is NXT supposed to be? We we lament the fact when we see performers that are brought up to the main roster and it's a completely different shift, some that really flounder. It's like, should this system be just simply streamlined to exactly the, the qualifications and parameters they want these performers to be ascending to on Raw and SmackDown? This is no longer a case of this being a third brand, any kind of equal. This is the developmental pipeline. And I think that's that's being made very distinct this year. And the question becomes, like, you have a two-hour television program now. Can you go to such a, an extreme here? And can you make... I don't think you can make that change overnight either way. Like, you still have years of the remnants of this philosophy for NXT that it's not like overnight you can just turn this into something where it is people that are a year into this business or and completely, I think, eliminate yourself from the the style that NXT has popularized itself with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's... Certainly disappointing news, I think, for anybody who's enjoyed NXT over the past several years as this su- super indie. Um, but, you know, it, if you're Vince McMahon, you have no interest in developing a super indie. Uh, your efforts at it being sort of a, a, a way to kill the competition have not necessarily worked. The competition is thriving despite NXT's existence. And if you're putting as much money as you are into it and seeing... You know, whatever result it's seeing, uh, whatever rate at TV rate it's getting from USA on a Tuesday, uh, whatever other benefits you're seeing from it might not be worth it. You know, not, might not be worth it when your goal is to create the next John Cena or to create the next Roman Reigns. Why are you signing, you know, a Bobby Fish or even a Mercedes Martinez? Um, and that, unfortunately to me, is, you know, very kind of flawed thinking because you know, you see on the other shows how much you can make money with anybody if they're good. And there are plenty of people above the age of 30 who might be smaller, um, who are really good. And I think, you know, could be tremendous projects for WWE or any other wrestling company who, who decides to pick them up. But we know Vince, he has his preferences. He has his style of wrestling that he likes. He has the superstars he has in mind to push to be their next John Cena or Roman Reigns or whoever, um, you know, even their next Steve Austin or The Rock. 
And uh, right now, it doesn't seem like the people that he let go uh, fit that bill. No, it's, you know, and if and if this is the shift, like it's it's very much a narrowing of the view of what makes a star. And I always think there is a big um, there's a big disadvantage to that kind of thinking, because often stars come along. And I think the idea you want is. If someone gets over, they're over and you run with it. It's not trying to fit your vision into this narrow box. And that is where your thinking comes. Like you just don't know when someone is going to catch fire. Like this this line of thinking, um, a Darby Allen doesn't exist in this system. And and I mean, this only kind of um, it, benefits no. that, that, that viewpoint. I think it's a very limiting one when you're just forcing like it's got to be in this mold that a star is made instead of the idea that you can't really define what's going to connect with an audience. It's just identifying when that actually happens and then going with it. It's, you know, when the UFC, this is, you know, a bit of an extreme example, but when they signed Conor McGregor, he was a very charismatic individual, but they had absolutely no idea that they had just signed the guy that was going to take their business to unprecedented levels. His first fight, he's on the on the Facebook prelims, but they identified it immediately. And by fight two, he got a huge promotional push for that card in Boston. And when you saw him grow, it's like having the the reaction that, okay, we've if you're a copycat, it's let's go sign some Irish fighters. It's like, that is not the reason. It's like, that is a benefit. Um, he's going to attract an Irish audience, but it's not just strictly his country of origin. It's, this is a superstar who happens to be Irish and it's going to cultivate an audience, but that is not the, it, it is not exactly going, to, that's not the defining lesson from why this person is so popular. But they, they saw a star and they built a star because they identified it right away and didn't try and tell themselves all the reasons this person cannot be a star or cannot, it was just, we saw it and we're going to get behind it. And in MMA, you have the handicap that this guy's got to win too and progress. We can only do the promotional side. We can't control the outcome. And that's always been, you look at pro wrestling, that's such a great advantage when you can control where a guy goes. When Once the audience connects with them, that's the difficult part. And you just book them competently and enhance that reaction the fan base has. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. Not one person, I think, ever looks at a Conor McGregor and thinks, that guy's too small for me to care about whether or not he loses or wins this match. Nobody cares about that. It's such an outdated form of thinking. Well, Nobody it's funny would... way because on the SummerSlam card today that I watched from 2016, mm -hmm. it's the day after UFC 202 with Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz, which to this day is one of the most bought pay-per-views in UFC history. And Mauro Ronaldo references it. And JBL, and this is JBL immediately reacting, but you could certainly... Um, extend this line of thinking, I'm sure, to some people in WWE, immediately says, yeah, but the difference is, and he's referring to the match that's in the ring for them, it's like Dean Ambrose and Dolph Ziggler, these guys are adult-sized. And I was like, that's that's your takeaway from these two that just drew a number that is going to dwarf anything you could have done in comparison. This is the network era. But it's like, if that's your lesson that you take, that, well, our guys are bigger, that size the lesson is size doesn't mean shit 
when you have superstars. That That is what the business lesson is. And this is 2016 mm-hmm. when Conor McGregor has blown up. This is not like he's just on the come up. He has already achieved this. And your takeaway is the size problem. Yeah. You know, to to maybe even just extend this to something else, I, I don't know how well this bodes for some of your smaller guys in an NXT. You know, already guys like a Ciampa and a Gargano, they feel like they're NXT lifers, and that feels far more cemented now. If if they might even stay in NXT at this point, you, it makes you wonder. Somebody like a Pete Dunne, who's not that large. Um, he's the, he's I, the most interesting one because, you know, we've seen the reports that Adam Cole seems to be, that is one they do not want to lose. Pete Dunne's a very interesting one because that is one that, I mean, if they aggressively go after Pete Dunne, that, that's going to tell you a message. And if they give him, you know, a a minimum offer to stay or outright, you know, don't, I mean, that that's going to be very telling too. I, th- I think the Pete Dunne one, just because that appears to be coming up soon, that's a very interesting one to see where that one goes. But beyond that, a Kyle O'Reilly, you name the entire NXT roster. It's like all cruiserweights and it doesn't really bode well for how Vince sees them. Whenever he has a chance to perhaps bring them up, you know, can you like if he if he is unwilling to redo a Kofi Kingston run after the amount tremendous amount of fan support uh, or like, you know, taking a talent like Ricochet, who was as much of a sure thing as I think anybody who's ever signed to NXT should have been to become a superstar on the main roster. If he does not care to use those guys to their full potential, what chances a Kyle O'Reilly have? It really is is a little bit depressing. And how is NXT going to change? Be you know from this point forward, are we going to see more of a you know just a, a focus on on larger size sort of stereotypical you know Vince McMahon WWE level big guys? You know, is there going to be a certain age restriction for for everybody in that scene? Uh, it's it's going to be a very different show, perhaps. Yeah, and and again, it's. Maybe in six or twelve months, we're looking, and it's it's not as dire as as this picture is. Even if this is kind of the line of thinking now, it's you know circumstances can always change things based on what your needs are today versus what they are tomorrow. And you know when you when you cite a Kyle O'Reilly or a Johnny Gargano, you still have a two hour show to fill, and that's like you. It's going to get very bleak if you're just focusing two hours on inexperienced talent that are, you know, in their, in their first three years and they're being put in these situations to carry segments, carry matches. Like you are going to need some of these core talents, I think to help you put together a two hour show every week. That's compelling. That doesn't drive your audience away. Um, You know, they just, but will they ever become champion? Will they ever receive the type of spotlight and focus that, you know, they might at this point, or maybe they might've a year ago, if the goal is to use NXT to, build your next John Cena level star. No, I think that's going to be the decision is that if, if, if you are a Johnny Gargano, it's like, are there main event or are there main roster um, plans for me? Or is this it? And if this is it um, is my future here. Like that's, that's going to put these performers kind of like, where do I stand in, in this? And, you know, it's one thing to be told, Hey, you don't have to worry about this or, this is overblown, but the proof is going to be in the pudding when when we see six months down the road where where this brand is. And I'll say next week, a guy who's in a very interesting position of how he kind of has to play this is Paul Levesque, who traditionally does the pre-takeover media call. And I don't know how this isn't the 
topic of discussion. And and we've seen Paul Levesque these last few calls. Like he has been um yeah, just less cool under pressure when, you know, a lot of the questions have been directed about, you know, d- different it, it, NXT, the bloom has been off the rose. I think like these past two years has done some damage to this brand. And with this idea of what is the future, I think Paul Levesque, I mean, he pretty much has to be a good soldier and go out and put as positive a picture out next week to kind of lessen this concern that the audience has. But I, I think a lot of people will also take that with a grain of salt, whatever he comes out and says. He is not going to, I think, paint a dark picture by any stretch. This is his face is still going to be the one out selling this product. It's his version of the investor calls. You know, how can we uh, spin whatever news we have to sound as positive as possible? Um, I mean, that's that's sort of the game. Do you think that this entire thing will have um, maybe a lasting detrimental effect on, you know, all the chatter that's been out there for the past several years of him being Vince's, you know, um, next in line? I mean, it's, you know, he is someone that I would say, like, we're, we're, we're going to see in, I would say, like, the next year or two, like, where where NXT fits into WWE's portfolio. Like, how how big, like, we saw where th- this had become a significant brand for them. Something that, with all this money that is spent on WrestleMania weekend, they carved out their night that, you know, a takeover was going to be part of your weekend to compete with all these other groups out there. This kind of viewpoint, like if, if it is if it is as big of a change as people are expecting, I don't know if this is the same kind of attraction to people that you can take this in the, in the same way. Like that's the other thing is that for so long, it's like this this form of professional wrestling has been looked at towards a niche audience. But this is a brand that has been with the WWE muscle behind it. They have been able to make a lot of money off of this brand from touring to a television deal. Like we we don't know the exact amount that they're getting from USA, but look at all the shows WWE has produced that have not gotten off the ground. It's like no one's beating down their door to get main event, Um, mixed match challenge, uh, even tough enough when they brought it back. It got a season on USA, didn't come back. Like NXT was able to get on USA. They quietly got a renewal back in March, but again, for, for how much that's, up for discussion but it's like i i would not look at this that this was a this was a failed wednesday night opposition for aew but was it a failed brand i would i would argue no but if you are a vince mcmahon and you're looking at what is the point of this thing it is to feed raw and smackdown and they can maybe look at listen they we're creating our own lane aside from aew we are not competing with aew anymore as much as you can spin that and uh, getting back to your question about Paul Levesque, like that is like his, his role in this company as, you know, a future leader. I think that that's, that's really a hard question to answer. If he is viewed as the fall guy for this, this Wednesday night fight that like, this was a big opportunity as much as this period solidified Tony Khan as like a pretty, a pretty intelligent booker, who didn't have any, you know, booking experience in the industry prior, who got that renewal with TNT. I mean, he has really made his wrestling reputation in these two years. And and Paul Levesque was on the other side of that equation. Mm-hmm. And we haven't even brought up some of those other shows, like at NXT UK, 
you know, what does it mean for a 205 Live if the new focus is going to be on Bigger Man? You know, what does that make that show feel like? Do you, is there a need for that Who, roster? Who's team? left on 205 Live after Friday as well? Like you had, mm-hmm. you know, Leon Ruff and Ari Sterling who were on Friday's show that were gone. It's, you know, it's it's another show that it's just, you know, it's fulfilling content that could could disappear tomorrow if they, if they no longer see a need for it. It's It, it brings into question everything that, uh, Brandon and I recently talked about is like what what is this overall global strategy for them? Like I would say, you know this this kind of changes the perspective of this idea of all these NXT satellite groups and and yeah, like the NXT UK subject is an interesting one. Like what what is the purpose of NXT UK? It's got a TV deal and BT Sport, so I mean there is like again, it's not something that's just a self fulfilling project that you have. Like you do have partners attached to that brand, but what is your ultimate goal for that show you know the, the the creation of the network seemed to propel much of the strategy for their global expansion you know putting pockets of, of shows here and there and part of partially to justify being able to you know fill this network with new content now you got this peacock deal you no longer really have that need anymore uh and so what is going to be the ramifications for you know some of these international projects clearly global global localization is not is something they've abandoned um, unless we're talking maybe maybe something in India, perhaps, but I, I don't really see them doing much outside, perhaps, of, of that. And- Nick Khan mentioned the idea of Mexico as well. Like, he said that several months ago, the idea of building something up in Mexico. But, yeah, it's it, it's all, um, you know, it just seems like a a different strategy now than, than it certainly seems like the the philosophies of like the George Barrios, Michelle Wilson era with this current one are just so diametrically opposed. And it feels like NXT is right in the middle of this, this identity crisis. And I don't know if this shifts all the way back to where we were like pre WWE network with NXT. And maybe it's somewhere in the middle where you might remember that, you know, when Kevin Owens and Bobby Roode and Samoa Joe were coming in, they were never earmarked for the main roster. It was like, these are going to be NXT talents that are there to help the younger talent work with experienced guys, get them that it was still focused on the younger talent. And then you had this, I don't want to say phenomenon. It might not be, that might be going too far, but suddenly like this became a hot brand that we could tour, but we have kind of set the bar that, you know, it's high quality matches and we need the, the talent that, is going to be your most experienced on the indie scene. They were the best suited for this while, you know, a a guy like an Omos is not going to fit into that version of NXT. But today I would say um, developing and rising a, an Omos in that system is much more important than going out and having a four and a half star match on, on takeover. Like from the sounds of things, it's like, if you are on the main, if you are Vince McMahon, you want to be developing those stars rather than, you know, having, great highly acclaimed matches it's where can we get our next stars and it just seems like we have a much more narrow view than we did a year ago of what a star can be you never want to hear about you know talents um losing their livelihood maybe losing out on a lot of their dreams when they initially get courted by the wwe and sign those contracts at the same time i mean you know for all the talk of like the indie shrinking many years ago with wwe hoarding all this talent um 
there 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 stands to be a lot of really hot indie shows in the future with all with a great amount of talents coming out because AEW is not going to pick everybody up even Impact and MLW like and ROH like they could only pick up so many people but you know it, 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 the scene is about to get really really full it seems of of talented guys again it was in all of this i think it's really interesting the finish that you book at takeover between Karrion Cross and Samoa Joe because just basic thinking is okay Karrion Cross is leaving NXT you get the title off of him we saw tonight like they are obviously you can certainly um, disagree with how they called up Karrion Cross, but it is clear like they have plans for Karrion Cross. They had a very poor way to go about that in his first match, but they're clearly going with this guy. What advantage is it to them that this guy puts over Samoa Joe at TakeOver? Like what, what obligation do we have to the sanctity of this NXT championship that we have already treated awful on the main roster? It's, that's your problem. You are not beating one of our monsters that we are about to get behind in a big way on Raw. You guys can do a disputed finish. That's it. The NXT title is not a priority for us. So you book this match. You book your way out of it. I, I don't know if it's just a guarantee that Joe goes over and this NXT title moves on. It's like, do they want Cross losing? It's one thing that, well, it's our story that he loses by fluke. It's much. It's a much different one that he does a... Uh, highly competitive match and loses to a guy that is not on the main roster. He He's a guy we actually released. Yeah. I, much of that question, I think comes down to how much Vince even cares about what takes place on NXT, whether or not he even pays attention half the time. Uh, I feel like there's no other. This means he obviously does. I would say if, if all of this is coming out, I would say he's definitely aware of it now. I suppose so. Yeah. But you know, I would say it's, it's a, I have to think it's a pretty sure bet that cross does not leave takeover with the championship. Seeing the way he is booked on this show. I feel like they're trying to do everything in their power to get that belt off of him so that your entire show doesn't continue to suffer from this man's poor booking tonight, tonight included. Let's be honest here. You know, the man is a five, has a 500 record on raw has trouble beating Jeff Hardy, a low carded member of the raw roster. So I, I, whether or not it's a clean finish, I, I do think Cross leaves NXT without the belt. All right, uh, let's just quickly. This has been um, the most asked question of me over the last two months. AEW Rampage in Canada. So uh, PW Insider had a note today, uh, mid afternoon, and I did confirm this. So Rampage this Friday, it will be airing on TSN Direct, which is their streaming service, and through its website. And if you have TSN, you can log in with that information. I am unsure if this is going to be the permanent home or not. Um, it's not listed on the TV schedule for next Friday, but uh, we shall see. But it will be on TSN Direct live at 10 p.m. Eastern. And if you go on TSN Direct, they do have replays of past Dynamites, including all the most recent episodes. So I would assume Rampage is going to be there on demand right after. The thing with the TSN player that we've talked about is that it doesn't have the ability to rewind or pause. So you pretty much, I mean, it's it's less of an issue for, for others, but like for me myself, I'm going to have to make sure that I am done SmackDown live so that I can start this show because there's no catching up on Rampage uh, through it, since we're doing a show immediately afterwards. And, you know, you usually watch on, on a PVR sometimes, and you can't even do that because it's not going to be on TV, so you can't even record it on PVR. Yeah, like for, for Canadians that watch, for no, for the very, very, very small percentile of note-takers 
uh, of AEW in Canada. <laughs> AEW Weekly is like a treadmill with no stop button for us. Once it's on, you have to give your full attention to it. A million things happen on the show, and you cannot pause and rewind. Um, so I'm I'm ready to exercise. You know, two two times a week now, both on Wednesday and Fridays for an hour. Uh, but it's at least good news that you know Canadians now have some ability to watch it. And then internationally, um, uh, Fight TV confirmed with us that all regions that have AEW Plus uh, will have the ability to watch Rampage uh, live if you've got AEW Plus. So that looks to be the uh, the international uh, situation for Rampage beginning this Friday. And then, of course, in the U.S., it will be on TNT, 10 Eastern on Friday night. Are you ready, Way, for the, the added hour? I think I will be. I'm excited, actually, at least for these first couple weeks. You know, they're, they're slated to be pretty big shows. I think even all the way up until All Out, you could say, with the, you know, uh, return of CM Punk. So um, there's definitely going to going to be curiosity. I, and we really look to see how important of a show AEW is going to make it. Uh, NXT on Tuesday night, they've just announced Ember Moon against uh, Saray. And then Dynamite on Wednesday night in Pittsburgh has... The Good Brothers versus Evil Uno and Stu Grayson for the Impact Tag Titles. Nyla Rose versus Chris Statlander. Jericho versus Wardlow in the fourth Labor of Jericho match with MJF ringside. Darby Allen versus Daniel Garcia that they added. Apparently, Daniel Garcia and Wheeler Utah on uh, IWTV this weekend had an amazing one-hour match. That sounds like it was uh, tremendous. And just announced today is a six-man with Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks against Matt and Mike Seidel and Dante Martin. So those are the five matches announced thus far for uh, Pittsburgh Dynamite. First of two shows in Pittsburgh this week. It's not a huge card. Do you think this one makes it past one million? I do. I think they're riding momentum. They've also got, um, you know, an Omega and and Young Bucks match. Granted, it's not like big opponents, but I just think them wrestling has has some value. Jericho and Wardlow, uh, that could... Will probably main event if the angle is to set up Jericho and MJF at the end of the show. They they could end with that, hmm. or or I'm do t- something big to really lead you into Rampage as well. Yeah, um, I'm certainly curious. You know, because last week I I felt like uh, you know Black versus Cody was was a big match, but beyond that, it it was certainly a lesser card than the weeks prior. This one even less so. So yeah, um, they don't have a Cody Malachi Black on this one. You're right. No, so I'm curious. Over to Monday Night Raw from the Amway Center in Orlando, Florida. The former home of the Thunderdome. One of the former. The original home of the Thunderdome. That is correct. Yes. Feels like such a long time ago. And on main event, they had Aaliyah over Dakota Kai. On the same day where they announced Dakota Kai challenging for the women's title at TakeOver. And Odyssey Jones beating Austin Theory. So they're actually airing these on main event or are these just dark, dark matches? These, I mean, these were, they had all the main event uh, signage uh, for for these. Like, I saw all the photos of it. So, I'm, they did do a dark match before this involving Keith Lee. So, no, I think these two will be on main event. Why would you have Aaliyah over Dakota Kai? For what reason? What the hell? I think we can just go back to our last conversation. I don't think um, that is a concern. I suppose, but like. There, I, I why Dakota any... Kai? Why this week? Why we couldn't just wait till after Summer uh, Takeover, SummerSlam weekend? Um, okay, I'm, I'm beyond this. I think this is we can just expect this stuff. It's not, um, you know, it just okay. 
it really is a this was literally the day that they announced the women's title match for takeover it obviously is not of any concern that they're going to do this on main event still though it's like it makes no sense to me you know are are they just picking the younger person is she even younger i don't even know like are they picking out no like dakota kai's 33 i mean the younger person went over yes yeah, like, is that how they're choosing who wins these things? Okay, like, this person is younger. Had, their name starts with double A, okay? She's alphabetically ahead of Dakota D, so we have to have her win. That It's just, what the, what the fuck? Well, opening the show, Randy Orton and his mustache are back after seven weeks. Randy just milked this response, and he welcomes everyone to Raw. Riddle comes out. He talked about his stepdad abandoning him for milk 25 years ago. There's an RKO chant where I think Riddle successfully wanted this crowd, successfully convinced this crowd that they wanted to see this dude get pummeled by Randy. They would get their wish in time. Orton says, you and I were a great team. Past tense. And he pretty much lets down Riddle. He's not really interested in continuing this. AJ and Omos come out. We got a too sweet reference from AJ and Orton calls Omos a jackass, leading to a challenge made by AJ. It's accepted, and as Randy goes for the RKO, AJ goes to the floor. Omos stops Orton, and Riddle sets up from behind, can't hit Omos with the RKO, and instead Riddle eats a choke slam for our opening segment. Randy is back. Randy is back. We we didn't get any answers about the reason for his absence. You know, maybe maybe it, it was personal or something, but. It's not something that they seem to want to answer on the show. And whatever, it's fine. I thought this was a good segment. The fans are really into RK-Bro. despite the, And they're really happy to see the two of them reunite. Them introducing this amount of tension here with Randy possibly not being able to get along with Matt Riddle. Yes, it's a cliche, but this is actually a sample where it is done well. It's a logical next chapter for this uh, team to progress to. And I really thought they were a lot of fun to watch. It also continues to push Omos as this unstoppable monster, you know, no matter what goes on to get RK Bro, perhaps, you know, um, in the closing shot, uh, standing tall, Omos is is not at all uh, made to look weak in, in any position. So they are still protecting him and treating him really well. Yeah, I mean, of the four, he is like Orton is the star, but Omos is like all the focus is on Omos. Like he is the one that this is designed to benefit in every way. Baron Corbin is here and reminded us of the ever so protected brand to brand invitational that somebody thought of. And here we are, which I mean, this did have a great reason for happening, a huge payoff to it. And this is why you use the brand to brand invitational for these kinds of ideas that lead to huge stakes at the end of it. I thought this was the, was it the, called the wild card at one point? Um, we had the wild card. That was, that was a thing. And then the brand to brand invitational was um, the new quarterly. concept quarterly. It can be done up to four times a year. So how many times is this? I have no idea. Baron's fallen on hard times. He needs the money. His wife and kids left him. He's basically homeless. He had to sleep in one of the production trucks, yet still got a phone call from Jinder Mahal. So of all he's lost, he still has like a data plan and can take like long distance calls. Uh, Well, maybe it was Skype, but yeah, I don't know. 
and Jinder has hired him to take out Drew and says he's willing to take this risk of fighting a man with a sword. Yeah. That's well, quite the danger. Yes. He might wrong, kill man. you. So Drew then is interviewed and calls Corbin pathetic. And he has no sympathy for Corbin because he's a terrible person who once beat up a homeless person and took their dog. Mm-hmm. What lame material. He explains, then he like totally shifts focus and is asked the significance of the sword's name, Angela being his mother. And he talks about, and this is legit that she was diagnosed with a disease in her early 20s that he talks about in his book. And this, I do not think he mentioned in his book that his mother was told to abort her pregnancy with Drew and refused and had him. It was just such a sh- uh, like a stunning shift in this promo that started off as just like very campy WWE dialogue into like this really heartfelt story to give the name of this Claymore like a lot of importance behind it with a really um a really like heroic figure in his mother. It just was such a shift uh in like a second Kind of what you get with the WWE, you know, it really is a variety between um, kind of like really lame frat house type of humor to sometimes the occasional moment of just really good heartfelt uh, authenticity in storytelling. And you had both of it here in Drew McIntyre's little promo. Um, the Baron Corbin stuff aside, I, I actually quite enjoyed what he had to say about the sword and, and his mother here. It, it It's kind of the thing that you you wish he would have spent time on doing more of instead of the history lessons. You know, that feels like it was more of a requirement, and this feels like it's actual good, authentic storytelling that actually makes you care about the character. It makes you care about the sword, certainly a whole lot more than, you know, Drew McIntyre just stealing it, or sorry, Jinder Mahal just stealing it for, for little reason, because of a, he didn't return his text, because he didn't, he used um an abbreviation in his text. He used the right? number two instead of <laughs> T-O-O. Yes. It's literally yes. what began this feud, this blood feud between these two. Are we supposed to feel sympathy for Baron Corbin or are we supposed to like be enjoying this man's decline? Yeah, you, you I think you kind of waver between the two because like he he kind of pleads, you know, like as a man down on his luck a whole lot. But then you realize like you do in this match that he is actually even for a guy who is doesn't have much money now. He's just extremely greedy, and he, to him, having to take public transit is similar to, you know, um, being homeless, it seems like. So you're not supposed to like him in the end. Because I think if, if the intention is you, we want the audience to really cheer for Drew beating this guy who we shouldn't really feel bad for, even though it's a very sympathetic situation, you could have interviewed Baron Corbin, where it's it's clear like this is a guy that is a is a con artist and just make some flippant remark about the sword and that name. So Drew can then give this really impassioned speech of justifying that why this name is so important to him. And your takeaway is that guy really is an asshole for making a joke about the name that this guy named his sword. And you do want to see Drew actually, uh, you, you have a vested interest in seeing this guy be Baron Corbin, because you're not supposed to like him. Instead, it's just this 
I, I think that you draw sympathy out of Baron, and that to me just negates Drew McIntyre in this babyface role. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I figured they just named the sword Angela last week, and this was the week where they decide to, you know, give the context for the reason why, um, without maybe necessarily thinking about the transition between the Corbin Act and also the, the very serious, heartfelt naming of the sword. So Drew is throwing him around, and then Drew finally feels bad and asks Baron how much money he could use for a fo- for some food and to sh- go shower. And Baron's price is a hundred thousand dollars. So Drew laughs it off. He raises the price to two to three hundred thousand dollars, and then does a countdown. Claymore pins Corbin in nine forty seven. And that was it. That was the only purpose of Baron Corbin on this show. This could only be a role fulfilled by a SmackDown talent. And that was our brand-to-brand invitational for the quarter. Home hey, run. I, hey, I didn't hate this because uh, at the very least, we got to see a fresh matchup on Raw rather than the constant string of rematches. I mean, this could have very well just have been Shanky or Veer again getting beaten up by Drew. I think their integration of Baron Corbin from the other show into this helped introduce Baron Corbin to an audience that might not regularly watch SmackDown on the other show. And I thought it provided for, for some, you know, lighthearted, fun, beat up, beating up of, uh, of the character from Drew. Um, I actually, like, this little countdown thing he did, it was like, it, in the middle of the match, Drew grabs a microphone for this, like, little bit of dialogue. And it was so ridiculous in the context of, like, a real sporting event. But at this point, I don't watch Raw nor WWE for real sporting event. I watch it for sports entertainment, and I felt this was sports entertaining. Well, it was um, about to get more sports entertaining when Jinder Mahal, Veer, and Shanky walked out. But then Drew grabbed Angela, and they immediately backed off. They don't want anything to do with the sword. And they walked away. Yeah, the sword. Scary. No announcement of like where this is all going. No SummerSlam announcement. Man, I don't know if it's big enough for SummerSlam. I mean, Drew needs to have a role on that show, you would think. But, man, Jinder versus Drew. This and is not a hot program. Is a sword going to be involved? It has to. That's kind of like I feel like Jinder gets to be armed for this match. I, I mean, Jinder should really come back with his own weapon of choice. You know? Like a machete or like okay. a, a spear, I suppose, or like nunchucks or something, you know? Are they going to start selling uh, swords to the kids? Probably not. They'll probably get to the drip sticks before they sell, you know, sharp objects to children. Okay. Well, all right. Riddle found Orton in the back. He just wants to be friends. Orton has no interest in it. He just wants to be by himself as he's wearing his RK Bro hoodie. Yep. So he's he's perfectly fine to take the merch money from this act, but wants nothing else to do with Riddle. Karrion Cross and Jeff Hardy, too. The oh. much-anticipated follow-up. Cross says that Jeff ruined his Raw debut. I think many people had a had a had a hand in that. And now he has planned for Jeff's demise. He will fall and pray. And out comes our NXT champion with said championship. Hardy hit him with a poetry in motion off the steps. They go through the break. Hardy hit a splash for a two count. And then a roll up as Jeff uses the trunks 
and Karrion Cross kicks out. A baby face you can really get behind. <laughs> so, like, why do they do this? What, what, what's, what's the idea of Jeff Hardy cheating? Is it to show that, okay, so in a fair fight, this guy is not actually better than Karrion Cross, and therefore we're actually protecting Karrion Cross? Is that the idea? Yes. Yes, Jeff needs to resort to underhanded tactics to beat this guy, and it worked the first time, but now Karrion Cross is wise to this. Yeah, brilliant, really brilliant strategy. They yeah. really protect Karrion Cross. You know, nobody thought any lesser of him after he lost with uh, Jeff Hardy's feet on the ropes. Twist of fate is stopped. Cross lifts him for a Doomsday Saito cross jacket, and Hardy taps out in eight minutes, and then takes another Doomsday Saito and applies the cross jacket again at the end of this. So this was the reversal of fortunes for Karrion Cross. He gets his win back, uh, 50-50 at its finest, and. We will either get a string of rematches or Carrying Cross moves on after Jeff Hardy. <laughs> Perhaps, yeah. Um, you know, I would I would have said this should have been the match from the get-go, but it shouldn't because this was way too competitive, I think, for a brand-new debut in Carrying Cross. Never mind the fact that he's holding your NXT championship. I think if you're just going to debut a new guy, it shouldn't take this long for him to beat Jeff Hardy, who's really a low, lowly-ranked wrestler at this point. Um, I'm not really sure what sort of flip-flopping of ideas took place over the past four weeks. Like, was this supposed to be a losing streak gimmick to set up Scarlet? Who knows? And at this point, it doesn't really matter because I think the damage is already done. Now you are left with uh, a carrying cross, a representative of NXT's best, who is a guy, after four matches, with a 2-2 two and two record, who struggles to beat a low carter like Jeff Hardy. Um... So they're going to have to do a whole lot of work, I think, to change people's opinions about Karrion Cross as a major player after this. Yeah, but it's unpredictable. You never know if he's going to win. Oh, yeah, no. You can't that, tell. That got really... Man, after after a couple of matches, it's like, oh, Bill Goldberg again. Spoiler. Bet he's going to win. Bet's going to look awesome. Bet the crowd's going to go nuts for him when he hits that spear. Big deal. I know the finish. <laughs> this guy, I don't know what the hell is going to happen. He's either going to get humiliated or he's going to look dominant. Oh, Flip a coin. A, yeah. Yeah, I can't wait till next week. There's a music video for RK Bro. And then Riddle is sulking on his scooter. And he tells Kevin Patrick it's been an emotional day. And he will respect Randy Orton's wishes to be alone. Alexa Bliss, on her birthday, she turned 30 on Monday, came out with Lily and was speaking with her and took on Dewdrop, who had Eva Marie with her. And we got We Want Wyatt chants at the beginning. Yeah, no audio manipulation here. You know, like it's, uh, it, at least for this audience, it was uh, a term of rebellion, uh, presumably at Alexa Bliss, you know, carrying on this, this character without Bray Wyatt around. Alexa stalks Eva on the floor, grabs her, Dewdrop attacks from behind. They get back into the ring. Dewdrop starts talking shit to Lily in the corner. And we cut to Lily, who winks at Dewdrop. So, so hokey. And Bliss rolls her up in three minutes and 33 seconds. I thought... Tamina having to sell a foam rocket flying by her was the lamest finish I'd see in a week. This topped it, and Alexa Bliss beat Dewdrop as Eva was upset telling Dewdrop 
it's only a doll. Yes. You know, can I just can I just say for like a show that supposedly earns what? Like how much per episode does do they pay for Raw? Uh between uh 5 million for one episode? Yeah, 265. Divide that by 52 a, weeks a year. A show that is somehow <laughs> somehow earns 5 million dollars. For a show that makes that much money, they use the shittiest special effects possible. Okay, for to try to sell this like t- talking doll. Between last week's like, oh, man, what the fuck was that? Like the little close up thing with like the doll like cl- climbing up to this week having like, man, just the fo- Photoshop cutaway with like a little kind of winking deal that somebody from like a high school communications tech class. Maybe in Mrs. Walsh's communications tech class could have pulled off. Like, this was like, man, really low effort. But it's also why I thought it was hilarious. Because, you know, we thought when the Thunderdome ended, okay, that was the end of these sort of pre-taped, you know, cinematic shenanigans in the middle of these Alexa Bliss matches. Oh, thank God we're not out of that. Thank God they found a way to incorporate this into a live setting. Yes, they did, because they just had a close-up of Lily in the corner that they um, pre-shot or something, I don't know, and they just cut to it in a live setting, and it was, like, the corniest, like, bad, campy special effects type of thing that you could have imagined uh, on, like, you know, some high school uh, home project, and uh, here it is. They Sometimes they do things that are so, like, they commit to it so much on a million dollar production, multi-million dollar production that I just like, I kind of respect it. And <laughs> oh, yeah. one of those, I thought it was hilarious. John Morrison and the Miz are backstage and they, they remark that Damien Priest is dry. Seamus appears and he refers to John Morrison as a waterhead that cost him last week. Morrison responds, you must be tripping and I'm about to start dripping. Seamus informs him that he is about to go out there and crush that rat Ricochet and that Morrison better get the job done with Damian Priest tonight or you're in for a hell of a drought. (laughs) (laughs) He's so great. I love this shit. Come on. This is good. This was amusing. This is an amusing. Everything has to now be about wetness. Oh, I and you know every week you think they've run out, but no, there's they've always got fresh material. So you must be tripping, and I'm about to start dripping. <laughs> Listen, this guy John Morrison, I think he's done such a great job of of reinventing himself with this water stuff. It's like he to me is is already a major baby face. It's and unfortunately the booking does not reflect that. They they continue to pretty much like kind of grind him to the ground as far as you know his status goes. But between the in ring and also the backstage stuff, I find him just really entertaining. He has found the fountain of youth. Yes. Seamus versus Ricochet. Thankfully, this was brought to us by Sonic Crave Cheeseburger. Yeah. So uh, what does Burger King and the Chicken Sandwich think about this? Um, that's that's a great question. I don't know. Hmm. This could be um you know, Sonic. Sonic, they they've got their claws in WWE, you know. Sonic when, they, when they've Priest. got something new to push, they they make sure they, they let every WWE fan know about their newest concoction that um, is going to clog your arteries. Yeah, sure. Ricochet uh, avoids a brogue kick and Sheamus crashes to the floor. And then, most impressive thing on this show, 
Ricochet goes for this springboard, and he nearly loses his balance, but just recovers and launches himself for the springboard crossbody as they crash onto the desk on the floor. This was incredible. Yeah, like his legs like wobbled. He's like, "This is no problem." Readjust, boom, and hits his target. He's a pretty spectacular performer. Yes. Yeah. Breaking news here. Uh, Ricochet then starts punching the mask. He hits a leaping Hurricane Rana, sending Sheamus off the turnbuckle, and then hits a springboard clothesline, a Cabrada, and then Ricochet goes just too far. He leaps off the turnbuckle, headbutting Sheamus, who's wearing a protective mask, and knocks himself down, takes the brogue kick, and Sheamus pins him in 1035. Whoever came up with this idea of how Ricochet can lose, what a spectacular job of making this guy look like an utter fool. Well, I mean, it's sad that it's Ricochet in this position. Hey, dude, there's a block of ice. Why don't you run your head through it? That would be brilliant. Yeah, well, especially after he punched it several times and started hurting his hand. Couldn't he just come off and just get laid out with a forearm and then take the bro kick? This just made him look so dumb. I mean, the idea is to sell the mask as this, you know, unfair advantage that Sheamus now has. Um, and unfortunately, but once you headbutt it, you are the one initiating that contact. I don't well, need to punch my glass door to know that that's going to do damage to me. I know that that would be a bad idea, so I'm not going to punch glass. So, I mean, that would um, assume that you care about Ricochet not looking stupid. And clearly they don't. They don't care about how Ricochet is perceived because he is merely just an object to support Seamus getting this mask over. Um, And, you know, that's unfortunate because you see the performer that he is. He's certainly better than the role that he's been given. But nonetheless, he's just here to to make Seamus look good. Well... I was I enjoyed this match a lot, but the ending was just silly, and I no longer wanted to get a Sonic Crave cheeseburger. So it it missed the entire point of the match because I oh. lost my appetite after this. Oh, that's too bad. We don't even have Sonic in Canada, so I think they're they're okay. I was gonna make the trip. Gonna okay. get vaccinated. Uh, well, I am vaccinated. I was gonna get my test. Go to New Jersey. Pick up a cheeseburger, celebrate Ricochet kicking out at two and a half. No, not going through any of that. Damian Priest walks out and just stands down Sheamus and knocks him out of the ring. Morrison and Miz then come out, and then Damian Priest takes on John, John Morrison. The match only goes four minutes where uh, they, they these two were just having like a, like a capoeira demonstration between the two. It ended with Morrison kicking him off of the apron and then gets nailed coming in and he's setting up uh, Morrison to take the reckoning when Miz squirts Priest with the dripstick. But instead of Damian Priest being stuck in his tracks and he can't focus on anything, he does not get distracted by uh, foam shooting past him or dolls winking at him. Instead, the man got shot full on by water, looked at Miz, said, I'll deal with you after my professional wrestling obligation. Hit the reckoning, one in 407, and you know what? His target just stood there, 
and he went right up to him. He squirted Morrison with the drip stick and then goes up to Miz, who miraculously stood up from the wheelchair and ran to the back to indicate Miz is healed. Yes. Yeah. It looks like Damien is an actual priest that healed the sick. (laughs) With water. With the, yes. Holy water. Yeah, Damien the Baptist here. There you go, yes. Um... (laughs) Uh, I don't know what you want me to address first. Was it the, the lack of selling of the water or the capoeira kicks or the miraculous healing? I mean, you had it all in this thing. Yes. I thought I thought it was in, an enjoyable match. I liked the style that these two were going for. It was very different. It was very entertaining and intricate. Good reaction, I thought, from the crowd for for uh, Damian Priest, who start who's starting to feel a little bit hotter now. Yeah, and they sa- he addressed the Orlando crowd. Sheamus comes out and says, "Say it to my face." And he challenges Sheamus to a U.S. title match at SummerSlam. Calls him a bully. Sheamus says, yeah, probably. And accepts the challenge. And as Morrison came from behind, Priest caught him with the brogue kick. It's amazing how much more popular a babyface feels when he's not an idiot. So a great lesson here because we got the contrast from the end of one match and the handling of the guy they're pushing here and Damian Priest who outsmarted all the heels and we've got the U.S. title match now for SummerSlam. Yeah. Well, clearly they have their sights set on Priest and no no things planned for, unfortunately, for somebody like a Ricochet. Uh, but they, they are pushing Priest pretty well. He felt like he was a, a pretty big star coming out of this. Mansoor apologized to Mustafa Ali last week by giving him a new ring jacket. Ali tells him, it's better that you learn from your mistake. And tonight I'll show you how it's done. You just need to watch. And we were going to watch Mustafa Ali versus T-Bar. T-Bar and Mace get their regular promo time. An unbelievable promo for this week of all weeks. There is only one lesson that matters when you step into our jungle. Teeny tiny rodents like Ali and Mansoor are at the bottom of the food chain. We are at the top. And at the end of the day, size always matters. Certainly does. Age matters too. He should have thrown that in there. <laughs> yeah, that too. So T Bar and Mustafa Ali, how how long have these two sides been been warring with one another? It's been a few weeks now. Maybe th- four, three to four weeks. It feels three like. to four weeks, something like that. The beginning of this match, the announcers reminded us of retribution. I have not once, not once in this program, thought. Of the fact that in the last year, Mustafa Ali was the leader of T-Bar and Mace in Retribution. I I have completely wiped that entire gimmick out of my head. And it was not until it was just spoon-fed to me in this match that I made the connection of Mustafa Ali with T-Bar and Mace. They have made mention of it in previous matches. I'm sure they have, but none of it was uh, absorbed by me. Well, that's really good because I'm sure they all want you to forget about it as well. There is a discus boot by T-Bar and then a chokeslam backbreaker. Ali gets his foot on the rope. Mace takes out Mansoor and yells at him, snitches get stitches. Who's a snitch? I don't know. What did Mansoor snitch on? No clue. Is that, uh, did we miss a week? I don't know. I have no idea. He said it very clearly. 
snitches get stitches. So maybe there is deeper layers that we need to be following from this story that we are not aware of. Uh, Ali hits an O'Connor roll, two count, tornado DDT, then gets crotched on the turnbuckle, feast your eyes, and T-Bar shows us that size always matters, and it only took him three minutes and four seconds. And if that was not clear enough, they hit Ali with the... Oh, sorry, they went for the high justice, and Mansoor stopped them and was able to clear the ring. And Mansoor actually got, like, a bit of a comeback here as we edit the segment. Yeah, I mean, the project is Mansoor. You know, the dynamic between him and Ali is that Ali thinks he is the experienced teacher of the duo... And Mansoor is happy to play along, but in performance, Mansoor is always shown to be the one who is the competent, capable one. So I think the story is moving along pretty well. They continue to get airtime, which I think is a big plus for both of those two. Reggie has his photo shoot. Tozawa shows up as a delivery man. Chaos ensues. Our truth is dressed up. Reggie does a bunch of flips, some of which uh, it was impressive, especially off the crate. And then he exited through the door. This was very brief. It was about a minute. I thought it was fun. You know, it's like uh, he does some parkour type of stuff. He, to me, is like a perfect guy for this 24-7 gimmick. In fact, he's probably revived it because prior to him holding it, we haven't really seen this belt along uh, for for much. You know, he can uh, allow the other guys in the division to look like idiots for chasing around and being unable to catch him. Uh, we no longer have these like 100 title changes every single week because he is incredibly elusive. That's the idea. Um, this was largely inoffensive. What if they evolved this 24-7 title and Reggie redefined what it means to be the 24-7 champion? It means that he is monitored 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And for 60 seconds every week, instead of these terrible skits, we just get... This week in Reggie, like he goes to the grocery store and he's doing flips down the produce aisle and then he's doing spins over to the vegetables and then Reggie's going to the movies and he has to uh, quickly go to the bathroom and has to leap over five rows of seats and we just see him being Reggie in everyday environments and there is the logical explanation that there's a camera on him 24-7. And we don't do any of these stupid Tozawa segments with our truth Right. Well, who would be chasing him in a grocery store? No one. He's just doing flips. That's all this championship is. Him doing cool mm-hmm. shit. I don't need to see a pinfall attempt. Just show me this guy doing cool shit outside of the arena. Well, why would he do it if he had no reason to? Because this is what he does. This is how he gets around. The man just does all of these flips to navigate. You and I are common people that walk to our destination. He has an alternate mode of transportation. It is his flying abilities. Why would he need a belt then? Because he is the 24-7 champion. That's it. He just walks around with this belt. I think I I like your idea of them getting outside of the arena to do a lot of their skits. I think uh, somebody of Reggie's abilities is is the perfect candidate to, you know, have jump off of cars or whatever you need to do. Um, I think to fit into the context of the belt and also wrestling, you need somebody chasing after him. I mean, but last time we saw them do that, you know, a man uh, ended up being eaten by a shark. So I don't know how how loud he he, well, uh, so we think is it the same person even? But uh, I don't know how wild you want to get with some of these ideas. But um, there's potential, at least, I guess. 
Kevin Patrick interviews AJ and Omos. They're going to break Randy just like they broke the scooter, which was fixed this week. So he's got an endless supply. Maybe it was the replica scooter he brought. <laughs> yeah, they just have replicas of every prop that yes. gets used. Yes. Bobby Lashley and MVP come out. Uh, this was probably the best segment on the show. MVP cut an awesome promo calling Goldberg a coward for spearing him last week and said he lied because of the insinuation he was threatening Gage and said that I, too, am a father and would never do such a thing. He addresses Gage. If you love your father, you should dissuade him from this fool's errand against Lashley, who will end Goldberg's career at SummerSlam. MVP was slandered, and when you slander me, you slander Lashley. And because of this spear last week, he has bruised and broken ribs. The only thing worse than a spear by Goldberg is a spear by Bobby Lashley. Bill, maybe you shouldn't bring your son here. He sells his ribs. He says, I can't cough, I can't sneeze, and I can't laugh, which is appropriate because this is no laughing matter. He pleads to Gage to convince his father not to show up or else that you'll have your dad at home permanently to go to all of your games and together you can watch Raw and reminisce about the time you didn't care enough to convince him not to take this match. Lashley then warns Goldberg, don't let your son watch SummerSlam. He won't even want your last name. At SummerSlam, you're not next. You're done. Bravo. This was an awesome promo from these two. Excellent, excellent. Mainly MVP, but Lashley got the the closer in here. Yeah, yeah. Like, we, for the majority of the show, we were talking about the, the shittiest, most bullshit things. You know, dolls winking. Um, it's the Daniel Bryan explanation that once he could appreciate that this is a parody of pro wrestling and then every so often a segment like this sneaks up where it's just a great promo building up a match. Dolls winking guys, you losing via like, you know, getting knocked on the head with the mass or water uh, interferences. This was, if you're a fan of real solid wrestling storytelling, I mean, this was your one segment that you could probably take away from this entire show. It was just a very good, serious promo from MVP that uh, accomplished a lot. Put over the injuries he suffered at the hands of the hero, but says, the only thing that hurts more than your spear is a spear from my guy. Uh, it was it was fantastic. Continue to integrate Gage into this storyline to further Bill Goldberg's reason to want to beat the shit out of both of these guys. And I just think that, that it did a really good job of heating up the match. And you probably will have Gage like there in the crowd at, at SummerSlam. And I could see him getting involved in some way. Maybe like he gets some spot in on MVP. Definitely. Yeah, I could see that happening now. This was a really good segment. Rhea Ripley is with Sarah Schreiber. She gives credit to Nikki for winning the no-holds-barred match, but almost isn't good enough to stay champion. Rhea knows the difference between the light and the dark required to keep that title and has not seen Nikki's darkness. So Rhea will be (laughs) the new champion. What in God's name was she talking about? (laughs) Um, I don't know, but MVP this was not. No, no. Yeah, uh... Yeah, I think she still has a lot of trouble. I mean, either the people scripting the stuff for her have really no idea how her natural kind of speaking abilities may be, or she just has a lot of trouble trying to regurgitate this stuff because it just sounds so fake. This was, uh, 
I mean, you know what they're getting at. It's like, I guess she represents the dark. Like, and and uh, Nikki is the light. Is that it? Well, she kind of explained here, like, you need both, but you need to tap into this darkness. Right. Okay. Oh, uh, well, um, okay, <laughs> cool. <laughs> Amazing. It's not convincing. You know, like we, we talk about, uh, I guess. Did Nikki Mal- not just win a no holds barred match last week? Like what, what is this darkness that she has to tap into? Well, how much darker it does it get? Like, does she need to kill her or like, how dark are we getting compared to like Rhea Ripley and the darkness she has exhibited? Yeah, maybe we get some sort of bizarro Nikki, Nikki Ash, who you know is is sort of a more vil- more edgier and villainous. I don't know, but I mean the idea was that Nikki barely scraped by last week, you know, and so Rhea, even though she was impressed that Nikki managed to beat Charlotte, she is she is not impressed enough to feel like Charlotte or Nikki could beat her. Okay. Nikki says she has always been prepared for things not going your way. If you believe. You can achieve your dreams. She'll be okay because I swear, did I hear this right? She will be okay because she has her trusty nightlight. That is her spirit. Um, I th- Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I couldn't believe what I was typing as I read this. I also did not have it in me to rewind because I did not want to heavily analyze our lead baby face talking about her trusty nightlight that maybe comes with a security blanket. Yeah, I mean, I I guess these all the characters in the women's division are like six year olds, but like in in grown ups bodies. You know, you have boogie. How can she and, tap into darkness with a trusty nightlight? She's well, afraid the, of the dark, I guess. She is afraid of the dark. Yeah, so Deep. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. She said last week I didn't almost beat Charlotte. I did beat Charlotte, and tonight I'm almost positive I'll be I'll beat Rhea Ripley. I'm almost positive. That's so our our non-title match, Nikki and Rhea. Uh, Nikki's ribs are taped, so Graves did have a good line. She isn't almost injured. She is injured. So Rhea goes after the body. Uh, Ripley uh, gets ca- the Riptide gets countered, and Ripley uh, Nikki lands on top of her. Ripley then gets knocked off the turnbuckle, and as Nikki is climbing, Charlotte appears and sends Nikki off, and. We almost got a finish, but instead we got a DQ. In 919, Charlotte laid out both, hit the natural selection, and grabbed the belt for our triple threat at SummerSlam. Yeah. I mean, non-finish, but I thought a pretty decent match here. They are certainly trying to elevate a new star, Nikki Cross, here. And um, I think continuing to at least put the TV time and focus on her you know, does something to make you see her as somebody who belongs in that level. I am kind of curious if if they will. She is so like vanilla, like corny baby face right now that I do wonder if there's just a sort of a further idea to give her that darker side in the future. And this is just sort of like going over the top to give you that contrast later on. Well, that's that's maybe like the only avenue you have for this character if she loses at SummerSlam. Because once she loses his belt, like that to me is when like this character has probably run its course for most. And it's unless you want to do like a hard turn with this character, which just seems um, I mean, they've just got this thing going and you can see the investment that they have put in this character that it almost seems like they are going to ride this for at least 
a bit longer than a week from Saturday. I don't I don't see her just getting discarded. You're right. Like they're spending a whole lot of TV time on her, putting her in a SummerSlam main event. Um, you know, I guess the obvious if you're talking light and dark, the obvious program is there for her to continue something with Alexa mm-hmm. um, at some point. So yeah, we shall see. Then we had the video with Elias as he took the guitar, tossed it into the fire, and proclaimed that Elias is dead. Hmm. Okay, so a character change coming for him. What do you think? Uh, Maybe he will be Eli. Just Eli. No instrument. Maybe he will get... uh, He will get his last name back from NXT. Eli Sampson? Yeah, Elias, that was it, right? Elias Sampson? Yeah, yeah. That was a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, Elias with, without a guitar is going to be strange. So uh, I wonder what what new stuff he has up his sleeve, you know? There's certainly the, the, the character was, even though I feel like the character would still work, especially with these live crowds back, um, those segments are kind of getting tired, and uh, change <laughs> is sometimes good. Not always, so... What about the clarinet? <laughs> Show up with the clarinet. I would love to see that. Yeah. Or a... You know... Give him a phone. read and... See what he can <laughs> yeah. play. Like, the clarinet is a very... that That's an instrument that gets no no respect. I played the clarinet. D- d- yeah, I can... I can. T- Every, everyone would be... They, they would look at, like... You know, you had like the the sax players that had like the cool looking instruments. The person on the drums, it's like the drums are a cool thing. The flutes, the flutes get any attention that would be reserved for clarinet. Clarinet was just in the middle. We were even seated in the middle. It was like, don't love it, don't hate it. It's just the clarinets who are just there. Yeah. Very dull instrument when it comes to grade seven band. Oh, I respect clarinets, you know, they're, I think they're uh, important, but uh, I, I was actually pushed into playing the trumpet, and I hated it, but man, the trumpets are like, you know, sort of your, your lead guitar, lead instrument, and it didn't really fit me, you know. Um, my friend Jeff plays a tuba, he's like a professional or semi-professional at it, and I think that's the worst, because you have to carry that thing around the whole time. That was you know? my thinking with the clarinet. I wanted something compact that I'd have to take home. It was like very, very small, small little case. No problem. That went into so, my thinking. So, um, so Elias with the clarinet, you think? We, we shall see. We'll, we'll be at the edge of our seats. Charlotte was interviewed. She says she doesn't have to be pinned to lose the triple threat. So she's not going to take any chances. And those two should have anticipated my attack because... I'm very predictable. And you're right. They should have been aware. So point mm-hmm. to Charlotte. Orton tells Kevin Patrick he works better alone. He needs to beat AJ by himself tonight. They announced Bill Goldberg for Raw next week. That's the go-home show in San Antonio. Main event, Randy Orton, AJ Styles in a rematch of WrestleMania proportions, as it was noted. AJ was in control at the beginning. They're trading shots. Orton hits his power slam got out of the calf crusher, and then rolled out of the way when AJ went for the phenomenal forearm and clotheslines AJ off the apron, goes for the draping DDT, and as he's setting up for the RKO, Omos pulls AJ away, and this draws the attention of Randy towards Omos. And the two start trading words, and Randy Orton puts down the challenge. 
You going to take off that coat? Omos took off that coat. And if we did not get AJ attacking Orton, God knows the fireworks that would have just taken over between Randy Orton and Omos without coat. Riddle comes down, sends Omos into the post, gets on his back for a sleeper. Riddle is driven into the post, and AJ launches himself for the phenomenal forearm and is caught in midair with an RKO that I'm sure Randy was thinking about since week two of his hiatus and wins the match in 11 minutes and 19 seconds. Beautiful RKO out of nowhere. Um, It was an all right match. You know, Orton is back. I think um, the announcers, well, the the post-match is most important, but... um, yeah, it was it was okay. I don't have much to say about it. It was it was a WWE match. Orton is in the ring with Riddle, and he's looking upset at Riddle coming down. Riddle wants a hug, and he brings Orton back into the ring. Orton's standing there. Riddle's telling him to listen to the people, and they build up to it. Orton hugs the guy, and this place goes nuts. They are so happy to see these two men hug, and then. Randy looks in one direction, he looks to the other side, boom, RKO to Riddle, and he's got this big smirk on his face. What was notable here is that it seemed like no one in this crowd, like everyone understood this was not meant to be a heel turn, it was just Randy being Randy, and he played it up with like the look on his face, and Riddle, you know, they, Riddle, Riddle did too, Riddle had a smile on his face. Riddle was like smiling as he had taken this, so this was certainly not designed which which is kind of an interesting choice because if you're ever going to do the split with these two, um, you, you've kind of conditioned people not to necessarily take an RKO as indicative of anything. He he's going to have to. I don't that know. That would like, be that would be the punt. There's nothing friendly about a punt. Well, we haven't seen the punt in a long time. Not not in front of fans. They they did the cuts. Remember for the. Uh, the, the punt to Rick Flair in the we, darkness. We got, we got cuts on this show, dude. The cinematic era is still here. Uh, you well, see, you may, didn't see that wink? They can get away with it with many more things in the post-Thunderdome era. But that's how the show ended. Essentially, Orton and Riddle back together and presumably setting up a tag match with AJ Styles and Omos. I thought all the Riddle-Orton-Omos uh, Riddle, stuff was... Very successful on the show. They they successfully reintroduced the the pairing on the show. I almost feel like they kind of extinguished that little tension a little bit too soon. But if you are to build to a tag match in about two weeks, you kind of have to do that a little bit quicker. Um, but it's it's a very fun little dynamic that they have going on right now with Orton being sort of like Randy Orton. You know, you don't know if you can trust him, and Matt Riddle being completely naive, just best friend type. Um, and the audience seems to love it. Yeah, and by the end of this, I mean, the SummerSlam card is pretty much, like, we got seven matches announced when you include Sheamus and Damian Priest, and then the, I guess the two lingering ones would be this tag match and Drew McIntyre and Jinder Mahal. Like, that would bring it to nine, and that that's pretty full for a three-hour show, even with a kickoff uh, on top of that. So that's kind of looks to be your card. It's hard for me to see see them fit much more if they are if they do have to hit what is it ten o'clock they have to be out by eleven eleven okay for the pack eight game. till eleven is the looks to be the main show window 
Right. So, I mean, a four-hour window that they have a hard stop for, I don't know how much more you can fit on this show. Yeah. So, there you go. Let's go to forum.postwrestling.com. And this show generated a 4.7 out of 10. Aaron from Brampton writes, I think Raw was dearly missing Randy Orton. His opening segment had a lot of energy and it really set the tone for the show. In fact, I watched the entire episode just because I couldn't wait for the main event. I don't think the RKO at the end was too malicious and it felt more brotherly than anything else. There's no way these two don't wrestle AJ and Omos at SummerSlam. Assuming Orton and Riddle win the tag titles and have a decent run with a dramatic breakup, can you see this program lasting until WrestleMania? It's a very long time. Um, That's a really long time. You know, even some of their other programs that have dragged on for that long, um, I think it be very difficult i'm thinking more you know survivor series if not the royal rumble remember last year when we were talking about sasha banks and bailey at this time when they were aligned together and could this make it to mania and it made it to hell in a cell yeah 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 uh but you know like they have dragged things out pretty long enough like how long did, did owens and jericho last so there, they were just getting started in the summer of 2016, where they teamed on SummerSlam 2016 that will be reviewed oh. on uh, Tuesday with myself and Damian Abraham. And then Owens wins the belt, and they carried that to, to uh, WrestleMania. Okay, so maybe that's kind of set, set the precedent, even though this Riddle RK Bro feud started before. The, the summer it feels like you've already been going with this for you know you you had the break with randy so that extended things but um that that possible. is a long time from now when we're talking about april yeah yeah it's possible we go to jay from colorado who says well i guess that was about the most wholesome rko you can get from randy i can't imagine them breaking up such an over team so quickly but i'm still grieving the hurt business it's ironic that the wwe talks about momentum so much when they are so incredibly effective at killing it I hope I'm wrong on this one. They need a tag title run first. Do you think this is the RK Bro split, or does it just bring them closer? It brings them closer. The announcers pretty much spelled it out at the end. Yeah, this was not like we were going off with a cliffhanger of what this means, nor was Randy or Riddle really playing it up that way. I mean, they pretty much led you into the direction that this was almost a, uh, um, you know, taken as like they're they're closer as a result coming out of this, and they're going to be aligned together. Andy from London, this is the first time I've watched Raw in a while. As of late, I've only followed the product by your podcast. Well, thank you, Andy. The Ripley-Nikki-Ash match really summed up WWE in a nutshell for me. While watching, I was thinking to myself how good the work was and how I actually enjoyed the story getting pulled into actually care. What a fool. The finish, although I should have seen coming a mile away, just had me annoyed. What's the point in investing? Simply put, there isn't any. Honorable mention to Jimmy Smith, who I thought was pretty good on commentary. He adds a tone of authenticity. Jimmy Smith, I think, has been doing a really good job fitting in with a a system that, let's be honest, is not easy for established, you know, wrestling broadcasters to fit themselves in. He is coming in completely cold and I think has shown that he's been doing the research, has been able to take whatever direction from Vince and whoever else is on commentary pretty well. And um, it's at the point now where I don't even really think about him on the show, which I think is what you want for for an answer. So uh, I agree with you. I think he's been doing a good job. The finish to that match, well, I mean, this is how they tell story, most of their stories, you know. you Your, your main target is whatever is happening at the pay-per-view. Clean finish in this match. Let's say Nikki beat Rhea. 
would it have helped the story? I don't know. It's hard, it's hard to say. You know, would it have made you more interested or less interested? Would it have hurt the, the main event? Um, it would have certainly made Raw more interesting. You know, I, more, I think it more, more boils down to, like, do you think it's a great story going in? Uh, it's like, I can take it or leave it. It's It's been one of the more prominently featured programs on Raw. Uh, I can't say it's all that compelling. I would say if they had, like, a really hot story going, I think you're more understanding of what the television is being used to. It's to build towards the the pay-per-view, it just feels like it, it's a very easy crutch to go to that you do the DQ finish. It's fine. It's like, you're, it's not going to stick with you beyond. It's just a way out of a match to continue. Yeah. All right. Finally, we get a Kate who says after the mass firing on Friday, I was probably in a more negative mindset than usual watching tonight's raw. If the future is over six feet and under 30, there are a lot of talented guys on the roster who, who have likely hit their ceiling already. Sorry, but how, who's going to be the first indie company that's going to have a show named something like that? Like uh, over 30, under six feet tall or something like that. Like there are going to be some groups that have some hilarious stuff coming out of this, this story. Oh, that should be the new, uh, a new championship somebody should create. You know how like new Japan had the, the under 30 championship or, or was it under something? Yeah. The under 30. Yep. It should be over, like, it should be over 30. It should be, they should have an over 50 championship, I would like to see. Uh, or under six foot tall championship. All right, we go to, oh, oh she continues. Uh, since they're having Corey talk really loudly about him, I assume they are going to make a bit of an effort with Cross, but he looked just barely better tonight than he did when he lost to Jeff Hardy a couple of weeks ago. They've already dug themselves into a hole with him because other than beating down fan favorite Hardy, the audience couldn't have cared less, cared less about him. In fact, there are a lot of people who are falling flat right now. Damian Priest, Nikki, Rhea, and most surprisingly, Bobby Lashley, who feels like a mid-card attraction at best. Arcade Bro genuinely feels like the hottest program going on right now, which makes it surprising that they seem to have abandoned that project without even giving them a run for the tag belt. Now that we know what execs are looking for in new male talent, I'm curious if there are similar directives in place for women. NXT has been an, a failure at developing new male stars, but it was crucial in establishing the main roster's women's division. Maybe they're fine with women's development working more or less like it does now, but it also feels like the women who are getting bigger pushes on the main roster now are a bit different than those that we saw a few years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's... When you look at, like, the last five years, um, you know, the biggest breakthrough was Becky Lynch, who was not one that was really earmarked. That was another one where... It was the audience gravitating towards someone and their immediate thought was to fight it after we had, in theory, just turned her heel. And then to their credit, they went with it and you had this gigantic star as a, as a result of it. But it was again, that was like, we have this idea and the audience wants something different. And they spent you know a week or two fighting that before they kind of just rolled with it and, and look what it turned out to be. So, I mean, you see maybe some of the the women that are getting pushed and receiving airtime on TV right now. Um it really I think is a it a bit of a it's a bit of a mix. Yes, you do have somebody like an Eva Marie who feels like such an incredibly dated character at this point, more of I think of the style of, you know, women's talent that they would have promoted over a decade ago. 
But at the same time, I mean, you also have um, an Alexa Bliss kind of doing a very strange new character. Nikki Cross doing a very different type of character than maybe, well, I mean, it's exactly like Molly Holly. But um, nonetheless, maybe adding a bit of variety from maybe your stereotypical model like, um, you know, uh, talent that, that used to dominate these shows. Uh, P- Piper Niven, you know, is somebody that's that's quite different too. Um, I don't necessarily see other than you know, like I mean, one of the main standouts of the of the uh, cutbacks was Mercedes Martinez, which we can all I guess assume was maybe due to age. Um, so beyond, I think you know them no longer hiring, perhaps. I mean, Mickey James, like the the age yeah. factor has been it's absolutely been an issue, and when you look at some of the the male stars in the company that are in main event positions post 40. I mean, point point to the females that are in those positions. Like the idea of just take someone like an AJ Styles, who's not the the absolute top spot, but in a very good role on Raw every week. Like, do you see like a 44 year old female in that role? Like, I do feel like it's the age factor. It's 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 very different between the males and the females because there's no evidence for females having that that same uh that same ability like beyond 40 you're telling me a mickey james could not be a valuable asset and she was several years younger than what aj is right now mm-hmm. you know Mataya valkyrie i think will be really interesting to see how far she gets coming off of uh, nxt because um she she is 37 even though like i think you wouldn't be able to tell you know like it's not i'm 37 <laughs> Like it, she, she, she to me would fit in uh, aesthetically. Like in terms of ability, she probably rank above plenty of others. But if the concern is for age, like she's not somebody I would have any concern for. I shouldn't have any concern for. But is Vince going to look at a stat sheet and see such and such and think, okay, well, disqualify everybody above the age of thirty-five? Um, we wonder. Yeah, look, look at some of the stories, like with with Mickey James. She did the the story with Alexa Bliss, where it's like her age was like brought up, like she was old, like they were doing that, and that was several years ago. Right. Yeah, so I mean, it's so. it's it's a very different mindset that um, I, I think the women have to contend with. It's not fair, yeah. but it's definitely you know you can see the evidence in front of you. Yeah. All right. Uh, thank you, everyone, for the feedback and listening to our show tonight. We we went lengthy tonight. Lots to talk about coming out of this weekend. Uh, so that is going to wrap us up. Way, you are going to be back on Wednesday night after Dynamite. It is a very busy week, and uh, you have Tuesday to uh, to relax. Uh, there's a lot of um, cleaning up to do. You know, it, it's miraculous that we even got out of the venue yes last night with the. Uh, Man, as as many, uh, as many celebrations as as were occurring last night. So, uh, t- tomorrow is kind of a night to yeah recover a little. So, I might even watch a Suicide Squad. Oh, very cool! Um, Which apparently um has been receiving great reviews, but didn't have a great weekend at the box office. Oh, so you're gonna be watching the Suicide Squad that came out this past weekend, not the Suicide Squad that came out. The weekend of SummerSlam 2016, which is coming out on Tuesday with myself Whoa. and Damian Abraham, postwrestlingcafe.com. <laughs> oh, that is incredible. It tells me you've already done your research for the trivia gauntlet, haven't you? I'm already all set to oh, go. Might, it might have just uh, spoiled one there, but yes, looking forward to that. Oh, tremendous. 
great. Way we'll be listening along, I'm sure, to relive Brock Lesnar and Randy Orton. Oh, yeah, definitely. This is a long show. But anyway, we're chatting about that. Postwrestling.com is where you can go uh, to check out all of that. And if you haven't yet, who is Wei Ting? The answer to that question at Postwrestling.com, on our YouTube, and for Post Wrestling Cafe members, the exclusive reaction video, which was my highlight uh, to watch Wei's reaction and to see what, what got the reactions out of Wei. And I will say this on the record. Wei Ting is literally the only person in this entire world who I would watch a video as he was eating. <laughs> there is nobody else that I would watch a video while they were eating, save for this man. <laughs> Apologies. I didn't even think about it. You, trust I me. understood you, were, you, uh, you, you needed that, that uh, sandwich, so it was it, understandable. I, I, I ate that sandwich laying down. I struggled to eat it like in between. It was, like, it was a struggle even getting that, that food down, down my, my throat. So I was... Uh, it was pretty much the only place where I could have uh, fit a meal in. So well, I, thank you, again, thank you for joining us tonight. You were given the option to have it off, but you're a true pro, and here you are, 24 hours later, chatting with us about the status of NXT. Oh, I, I, I was honored, honestly, to you know uh, to receive that treatment and also to have the 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 attention of everybody. It, you know, because I know a lot of people may, might be curious about my week. Uh, so I want to reach out right now and say thank you to everybody who sent me a kind message. I haven't even been able to really get through all my all my phone uh, messages yet. But if you sent a, a nice, kind word, even in the YouTube comment section, believe it or not, I, I thank all of you. So thank you again. And of course, you too, John. All right. That is going to wrap us up, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to Rewind to Raw. And we'll speak with you later on this week.